So everyone has opinions about Jesus. Have you noticed this? Like anyone who's ever heard the name Jesus has some sort of opinion about him. Um, you know, people of, of different faith traditions have differing opinions about the person of Jesus. Uh, some hold him in really high regard and would say he's a prophet. Others are like, yeah, whatever, he's, he's nothing, he's just a guy, or maybe he never even existed. Um, Christians obviously have a very different view of Jesus and, and thinking that he's the son of God who paid for the sin of the world. But even among Christians, Christians have different views of Jesus. Have you met Christians with different views of Jesus? You know, like some people like, like it's what like to follow what I call jerk Jesus. That's just the Jesus that's just mad all the time, just yelling at everybody all the time. And there's, there's the Jesus that's just kind of like, Jesus is my homeboy Jesus, and like we're bros Jesus. There's like, there's all these different versions of Jesus. There's the, the Jesus you see in like medieval art who's just kind of disturbing, if you ask me, but, but the different versions. If, if, if in, in our world, everybody's got opinions about Jesus. People on the internet have opinions about Jesus. Have you noticed this? Have you ever been on the internet and wandered, in, <laughs> wandered into like, what people think about like, the Christian faith or Christianity, and some are very hostile towards it? Some are like, positive towards it, and it's still like, that's not right. Like, this is, people have differing opinions about Jesus. This has been true throughout history, that, that Jesus brings people to this place where you're like, I gotta make a call one way or another because he's, he's too massive to be ignored. Um, and this isn't anything new. This was true in the times of Jesus. In the first century, as he's walking around, as he's teaching, as he's doing miracles and healing people and, and doing all these different things, as he's face-to-face with uh, his contemporaries, they had differing opinions about who he was. And people would argue about, about who he was. They would disagree. There'd be division. Um, but what, what I love about that is, is even though that was the case, that never seemed to phase him. Like, people would be wrong about their opinion of him or wonder what's going on, and he never stopped and said, wait, 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 wait. Let, me, let me clear that up for you or let me tell you why you're wrong or give you three points why you should believe me. He was just kind of like, nope, I'm just here. To, over and over, there'd just be this consistency and a sense of urgency where he's like, this is who I am, and this is what I'm here to do. This is who I am. This is what I'm here to do. This is who I am. This is what I'm here to do. And, and today, in the, in the text that we're going to look at, we're going to see Jesus making a claim about who he was and what he was here to do. Um, and, and it was a claim that he just kind of laid it out there for the people of his day, and he lays it out to us as well, that he's claiming that regardless of where you land with your faith currently or what your opinion is of Jesus, that the claim he makes is that you can find the thing in him that you actually want and desire the most, even if you're not sure that that's what you really want. And so we're going to be jumping back into John chapter 7 today. Um, we've been in a series off and on throughout this year, going through the Gospel of John, um, one of these ancient documents that are about the, it's about the life of Jesus. It gets collected together and put into what we now call the New Testament. But John was a document written by the Apostle John, the disciple John, who was one of Jesus' first disciples, who was an eyewitness to the events of the life of Jesus. And so he gets kind of older in his life, and he's like, I got to write this stuff down to pass it on. And so John records for us um, his take on, hey, this is who Jesus was and what he did and what he said, and here's the significance of it. Last week, we started in John chapter 7. We got kind of through almost the first half of John 7 last week. We're going to cover the entire second half of John 7 this week, um, and it's a lot. So here's what we're going to do. I'm actually going to read the entire rest of the passage, the second half of John 7 today, but we're really going to hone in on just three verses that are kind of like the, the key point, like the things that carry the most weight in, in this passage of what Jesus is claiming about himself. But to give us a little context, in case you weren't here last week or you've forgotten already, and I, like life happens, I get it. Last week, John 7, here's what, what happened. It was the, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, or it's also called the Feast of Tents, or the Feast of Shelters, or the Feast of Booths, or Sukkot. <laughs> this yearly celebration, this festival of the Jewish people, um, one of three pilgr- uh, pilgrimage festivals 
where if you were a Jewish man that lived within a certain region of the city of Jerusalem, you had to go to the city of Jerusalem to celebrate this week-long festival. And so within the city of Jerusalem, you have this massive swelling of the population. Tons of people are there to celebrate. And what they did to celebrate was they built these temporary structures, these little booths or tents, and they would use palm branches or whatever they could find, um, and everybody camped out for a week. And I said last week, for some of you, you're like, that sounds awesome. For some of you, think, you think that's the worst thing ever, because like, why with modern amenities would you ever want to try to live outside for a week? Well, regardless of what you think, that's what they did, and that's what they continued to do um, for the, the Feast of Tabernacles, because it was, it was a a commemoration, a remembrance of a time in the nation of Israel's history when they were wanderers in the desert. God had rescued them out of slavery in Egypt, and he's like, I'm going to bring you into the promised land, but first, you're going to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years. You're going to be these, this kind of nomadic people. You're not going to have a home, and you're going to live in tents. So every year, they, for a week, we're going to go live in these tents, and it's a reminder of God, how he was faithful to us, how he provided for us in the desert, how, how he brought us into the promised land. And so they do this. And this is where the setting is um, as we read today. It's still this Feast of Tabernacles. It's this week-long celebration. And last week, we're going to see a continuation of what we saw last week, where people don't know what to make of Jesus. They're just like, who is this guy? He's doing too, like, we can't just ignore him because he's doing too much and claiming too much. We got we to gotta figure out something. But everybody has different opinions. And last week we saw that his own brothers had an opinion of him that was based upon their own expectations. We saw that the crowd of people had opinions of him based upon like uh, the, the religious leaders or the powerful people in society. We saw the religious leaders had an opinion about Jesus based on what really what was in their heart and their understanding and their misunderstanding of God's law. So <clears throat> that's the setting. We're still at Tabernacles. Um, and here's uh, what happens. This, these, are gonna, these verses are going to be up on the, on the main screens if you want to follow along. It's a lengthy passage. John chapter 7, starting in verse 25. It said, some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, so some of the people who are at the festival, isn't this the man that they are trying to kill? The they is the religious leaders. Isn't this the guy that those religious leaders are all trying to kill? And yet, look, he's speaking publicly. And they're saying nothing to him. Can it be true that the authorities know that he's the Messiah? But we know where this man comes from. And when the Messiah comes, nobody will know where he's from. And as he was teaching in the temple, Jesus cried out, you know me and you know where I am from, yet I've not come on my own, but the one who sent me is true. And you don't know him. I know him because I am from him and he sent me. And then they tried to seize him, yet no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. However, many from the crowd believed in him and said, when the Messiah comes, he won't perform more signs than this man has done, will he? The Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things about him, and so the chief priests and the Pharisees sent servants to arrest him. Then Jesus said, I'm only with you for a short time, then I'm going to the one who sent me. You will look for me, and you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. Then the Jews said to one another, where does he intend to go so we won't find him? He doesn't intend to go to the Jewish people dispersed among the Greeks and teach the Greeks, does he? What is this remark that he made? You will look for me, and you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. On the last day and the most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and he cried out, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. He said this about the spirit. And those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the spirit for the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. When some of the crowd heard these words, they said, this truly is the prophet. Others said, this is the Messiah. But some said, surely the Messiah doesn't come from Galilee, does he? Doesn't the scripture say the Messiah comes from David's offspring and from town of Bethlehem where David lived? And so the crowd was divided because of him. Some of them wanted to seize him, but no one laid hands on him. And then the servants came to the chief priests and Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him? The servants answered, no man has ever spoke like this. And the Pharisees responded to them, are you fooled too? 
Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd which does not know the law is a curse. Nicodemus, the one who came to him previously and who was one of them, said to them, Our law doesn't judge a man before it hears from him and knows what he's doing, does it? You aren't from Galilee too, are you? They replied. Investigate, and you will see that no prophet arises from Galilee. So very much in a continuation of the first part of John 7, you've got different groups of people that are like, who is this guy? And they're arguing about it, and they're divided about it, and they're all trying to figure it out. We have one group of the crowd who's like, he can't be the Messiah because we don't know where he's from. And there's another group in the crowd who's like, no, he can't be the Messiah, but we know where he's from, and he's from the wrong place. And, and then you have a, another group of people that are like, well, but he's doing all of these signs, and so this isn't making sense. And then you have the, the, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees who are just like, we hate him, arrest him, right? Like, and, they're just, and the people who go to arrest him, but they're like, but he's, he's I don't know. And like, there's all this confusion and all this division and opinion among who Jesus is. And this division and this kind of confusion and this dispute is going to continue to, to kind of boil and boil and boil until it's going to come to a point. Uh, it's kind of come to a head very, very soon. At this point in John's gospel, kind of in the timeline of Jesus' life and ministry, we're about six months away from the cross. So it, it, it's getting into crunch time, which is crazy when you think about the structure of John's gospel. So we're seven chapters in. That's a little bit more than a third of the way in. And in that one third of the gospel, we've covered two and a half years of Jesus' ministry. And now, the next two-thirds are going to be the last six months. And so John, like, gets really, really intense. And, and like, the, the intensity and the urgency starts to get cranked up in what Jesus is doing and what he's saying. And that can be seen in this idea, like, his hour hadn't come, and they were trying to arrest him, and the Pharisees are mad. And this is the setting for what we're going to look at. And there's so much in that passage that I just read that we could spend lots and lots of time talking about. Um, but I want to talk about what I think is kind of the most important, kind of the crux of this passage. Because this is the one time, what we're going to look at is the one time that Jesus actually stands up to teach something. Or at least the one time that John records. He's recorded Jesus speaking a couple of times at the festival. But so far, the things that he's recorded Jesus speaking are Jesus in response to things that people are saying about him. Like, oh, we don't know where you're from, and he responds to that. And the religious leaders are throwing accusations against him, and he responds to that. But the verses we're going to look at today is the one thing that John records where Jesus stands up and says, hey, everybody listen, I've got something to say. And so that's where we're going to be. We're John chapter 7, and, and we're going to jump back in at verse 37. John records this, on the last and most important day of the festival. So it's the last day of, of the Feast of Tabernacles, so it's a week-long celebration. On the final day... Jesus stands up in the midst of all these crowds of people. Again, just huge amounts of people come into the city to celebrate this. They're all outside, right? They got these tents set up everywhere in the alleyways and on the rooftops and the streets and the fields. Just people everywhere. And in the midst of that, Jesus stands up and he says that he cried out. And the Greek word that translates cry out literally means to call aloud, to exclaim, to scream, or to shriek. All right? Like this isn't just Jesus like, Hey, let me get your attention. Like, no, this is Jesus like, hey, I got something to say. Everybody, listen up. And everyone's like, whoa, who's the crazy man? Right? Like, he's, he's loud. He's got something really, really important to say. And, and, and this isn't the main point of this message, but I want to I slow down here for a second and just talk about this because I think sometimes we lose sight of the fact that if you're a Christian or a follower of Jesus, the Christian faith is a faith of proclamation. It's a faith that, that, that cries out, that calls out. There's, there, there, there is a proclaiming of the good news of the gospel of Jesus. And Jesus, he's the one that sets that example for us. And he's like, hey, listen, I've got something important to say that everybody needs to hear. Pay attention to me. He cries out. You know, I think we have 
as I said at the beginning, we have different views of Jesus, different opinions of Jesus, and sometimes we have a version of Jesus that's kind of like monotone Jesus. You know, he's just kind of chill all the time. You know, you know what I'm talking about. You know the Jesus in the paintings that's just like flowing hair, and he just seems so nice all the time. And I think one of the reasons we have that is because it's been, it's been in response to another unhealthy extreme view of Jesus, which is the other Jesus I talked about, jerk Jesus, right? That there has kind of been a picture of Jesus, and some of you, maybe this was your upbringing, maybe if you grew up in church, maybe this is what you experienced, you have this religious idea that Jesus is just mad all the time. And he's like, you're all a bunch of sinners, and you're going to hell, and I'm here to save you, but you're going to hell, let's not forget that part. Right, and he's just, if you ever met somebody who loves jerk Jesus, they love to quote out of context things like, well, you know, Jesus made a whip, all right, and Jesus turned over tables, and Jesus called people broods of vipers and whitewashed tombs. And I'm, I just kind of want to politely and gently say, you know, like every time that Jesus had that attitude, it was always towards the religious people, right? Like it wasn't towards the masses of people. He was always calling out the religious leaders. And so, but in response, I think to jerk Jesus, what we've done is we do this in so many areas of life. Instead of going, hey, that's wrong, that's false, that's not true. Instead of figuring out what's the healthy thing, what's the right thing, what's the correct thing, we just assume that the right or the correct thing is the opposite extreme. Instead of going, no, let, let's, let's think, let's talk about this, let's figure this out. And so we've gone from that extreme sometimes to the Jesus who's just like, hey, hey guys, I've got some ideas I'd like to share with you. Come over, we'll have a latte and we'll talk about it, okay? And if, if, you, don't, if you don't like it, that's cool, we're good, right? It's like, well, no, n- neither of those are wrong. Because or neither of those are right, they're both wrong. Because on one hand, it's like, Yes, Jesus is absolutely compassionate and he's loving and he's full of grace and he has compassion, but he also has passion. And absolutely, he's full of love, but he also tends to get a little bit loud. And yes, he's humble and he's gentle, but he's, he's also, man, he, he's strong and he's powerful. Yes, he's, he's meek and he's mild, but he also is a little bit wild. He's unpredictable. He pushes against the status quo. That Jesus, at this point, he stands up and he's calling out. Remember, he's on mission and he's moving closer and closer and closer to the culmination of why he came to the earth in the first place. He knows, like, it's six months until I'm hanging on a cross, and I've got some stuff to say. And so he stands up and he, and he cries out and he calls out and I, and I see that and I'm like, man, if you're a Christian or a follower of Jesus, we take our cues from our king and Jesus is our king. And I'm like, are we the kind of people that, that call out? Are we the kind of people that cry out? Are we the kind of people that says, hey, I've got some good news. You know, Jesus is there and he sees these people who are broken and who are hurting and who are there for the celebration of longing for God to show up and do something in their lives. They're looking for something And as his followers, do we look around and see the brokenness and the hurt and the pain and the longing and the confusion of the world around us? And do we realize that we actually have the answer and the solution to what ails the world? And do we act accordingly? Do we call out? Do do we be like Jesus and I'm moved by compassion for the brokenness of people and so I, I cry out in passion? The, the Christian faith is one of proclamation. You know, the, the, the word evangelist, if you've ever heard evangelist, sometimes they get a bad rap because you think you put telly on the front of it, right? Tele-evangelist or something else. But evangelist literally, it comes from this Greek word euangelion, which is where we get the word gospel, which just means good news. And so an evangelist is someone who just proclaims good news. It says, you guys, I got really, really good news. Jesus has come to do something for you. We could fall into the trap of thinking of like, hey, people don't need to know that. They don't need to be told that. Like, they'll figure it out, they'll get their lives together, and they'll find hope, and they'll find healing, and eventually they'll find their way to God, because everybody knows about this whole God thing, this whole Jesus thing, right? Maybe 50 years ago that was true, that they had some idea of of God and the Christian faith. That's not true today. I I can remember, it's been several years now, I mean, I was, when I first got into ministry, and I think it was was pre-me doing this, like, as a job, and I was still just a volunteer working with kids and students, so it's been at least a decade, 
And we did this, this after-school program where we would go pick up kids from the public school um, and one day a week, and we'd bring them back to the church I was working at, and there was like 80 to 100 kids each week, and it was crazy. Who would do that with like 100 grade schoolers? But we did. Um, and there'd be music, and there'd be, you know, songs, and that's the same thing. There'd be games, and there'd be food, you know, my brain. Um, and there'd be a lesson that we'd break up into small groups, and I had a group of fifth graders, okay, that, that, like about 20 fifth graders in a classroom in and so these are, these, you know, they're not like little, little kids, so they have an idea of what's going on in the world. And I can remember it was Christmas time, and we're talking about the Christmas story. Hey, God sent Jesus because he loves you, and Mary and Joseph in the manger and all that. And it's like, even if you're like, you're not a religious person, everyone knows the Christmas story, right? There are four or five kids who are like, we've never heard this before. What, what is this? this that, I had no idea that's what Christmas was, or that was a part of of Christmas. And so if we, and we make this assumption, like, man, everybody knows, they're going to figure it out. No, it's, there's this beautiful thing the Apostle Paul says in the book of Romans where it says, you know, you, you believe in Jesus, but how will they believe unless they've, they've heard and how will they hear without someone preaching or someone proclaiming it to them? Are we the kind of people who just proclaim the goodness of Jesus? That's the reason why this church exists. That's the reason why we do what we do because we know it's like, man, we, there are people that we love, there are people that we care about, people around us every single day who live their lives without knowing who Jesus is, who are going to die without knowing who Jesus is. Do we feel that sense of urgency? It's like they need to know. We take our cue from our king, and here we see our king standing up. I mean, like, I see, like, the masses of people who are hurting, who are broken, and he's going to cry out. He cries out to get their attention, but what he says is astounding. What he says is shocking, and it's one of those things that, without a little context, we kind of, it, it's lost on us. But this, what he says next is one of those things that ends up getting Jesus killed. Because they're like, you can't say that. You can't claim that about yourself. He says this. If anyone is thirsty, I'm not going to shout again because I have a microphone on, but just imagine, okay, like just Jesus at the top of his lungs, standing up in the crowd and saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. For the one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. If anyone's thirsty, come to me and drink, you'll come have living water. And we're like, oh, that sounds nice. That's a nice little word picture. <laughs> 